Welcome to Come Follow Me with Free, episode 88, Teach Them Diligently. Hello, everyone. I am so glad you're here. This week, we are studying random chapters, or at least maybe seemingly random chapters in the book of Deuteronomy. But Deuteronomy is not really a story. It's the last three recorded sermons of Moses' tenure as prophet, which is why it makes a little bit more sense that we're skipping around this time in Come Follow Me reading assignment. They picked out some some key points that they think that would be good for us to focus on. It's really Moses teaching the Israelites and reiterating commandments and covenants to them so that they, they can remember and we all know that repetition is a part of the Lord's process. And in fact, the word Deuteronomy actually means repeated law. So that's what it was intended to be, is a reminder, a repetition of the law. So just to give you a little bit of build up, since we kind of skipped the Come Follow Me assignment last week, let's just give just some slight background for a second, just to kind of build up to where we are now, where Moses is giving these sermons. So 40 years previously in the book of Numbers, the Israelites had essentially reached the promised land a year after they were freed from the Egyptians. And when they got there, they sent 12 spies or Moses sent 12 spies into the land of Canaan, which is the promised land. And most of the spies came back saying that, yes, it's beautiful, but the Canaanites are too numerous to defeat. We can't do it. And only two of them, Joshua and Caleb, show faith in the Lord, saying that the Lord is with them and that they would be able to conquer the Canaanites. But the Israelites and these 10 other spies continue faithlessly to complain against Moses and the Lord about the huge challenge before them of defeating the Canaanites, saying that they couldn't do it. As I've been reading about these Israelites, I really keep thinking about Laman and Lemuel and just seeing Laman and Lemuel in these Israelites. They've seen so much. There have been so many miracles, incredible miracles. And so it's just crazy to me. I mean, I'm sure it would be scary and I'm not in their shoes, but that you wouldn't go and the Lord's telling you that this is the promised land. This is the land that I've prepared for you and that you can do it. And then thinking that I couldn't. After everything that they had seen. So it's just, it's just crazy to me. So the, as they're complaining, they're complaining to the Lord. The Lord then told them because of this, of their faithlessness, they were now going to have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And each year represents a day that the spies were gone spying on the Canaanites. The Lord declared that any of the Israelites that were over the age of 20 would not make it to the promised land. So it's at this point that they start wandering. And actually, some of the Israelites did, they were they were like, uh, hello, promised land right there, we're going to go. So some of them did go after they were commanded to wander for 40 years, and they all were killed by the Canaanites. And then I don't know if um, Moses and Aaron thought that they were exempt to this this decree from the Lord that if you were over 20, you wouldn't live to see the promised land. But... A little bit later, when Moses and Aaron are executing the miracle, when the Lord blesses the Israelites with the miracle of the water coming from the rock, Moses and Aaron get in trouble because they didn't do that miracle exactly as the Lord had instructed. And at that point, the Lord tells them that they will also not make it to the promised land. So it's here that we arrive in Deuteronomy. The 40 years have passed and they are about to go into the land of Canaan. And Moses is about to conclude his journey as a prophet here on the earth. And we get to have his three final sermons. And I don't know if there are more, but these are the three that we have that were his, his final sermons. And just a quick side note, if we didn't have the Joseph Smith translation and further revelation, we would think that Moses died. 
but we know that he actually left and was translated. And with him, he took the keys of the gathering of Israel. And if you remember, in the Kirtland Temple, it was Moses who appeared to Joseph Smith and committed the keys of the gathering of Israel from the four parts of the earth, and then also the keys of leading of the ten tribes from the land north. Isn't that just, I just love all this full circle stuff and realizing why things happen. So Moses was commanded to gather Israel in his lifetime on the earth. He gathered the children of Israel and led them to the promised land. And then he was translated. And then those keys were restored then to the prophet Joseph Smith in this dispensation. And our current prophet, President Nelson, holds those keys today of the gathering of Israel, the same keys that Moses held. Okay, so let's get on to what it's actually saying in Deuteronomy. So remember that as we conclude here in Deuteronomy, this is the completion of the five books of Moses, which our Jewish friends called the Torah. These five books are the scriptures that they use exclusively. And they are also the books that Nephi and Laman and Lemuel and Sam in the Book of Mormon got from Laban as the plates of brass. These are the records that they had. And that's why we have so many prophets in the Book of Mormon quoting stories from the five books of Moses. Those were the scriptures that they had. So these last three sermons of Moses, what is the theme? There is certainly a theme. Peter Ellis, who is a well-known Bible scholar, said this about the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a testimony to the primacy, which means like primary importance, of love in God's dealing with men. So a testimony to the primacy of love in God's dealing with men. Okay, so that being said, I want to pick out a few verses that stood out to me the most in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 through 7. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I commanded thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. We are commanded to love the Lord with all our heart, our soul, and our might. And we are told every week in the sacrament prayer that we must always remember him. We are told here in this last verse that we are to teach diligently the commandments of the Lord to our children and talk about them as we live our lives all the time. So do we always do this perfectly? For sure, no one does. And when we do find ourselves off track, what do we do as we always talk about? We just repent. We recenter. We keep moving forward. I think verses like this where it's talking about our whole soul and our whole might and that we should be talking about him and remembering him at all times sometimes feel intimidating to us or it feels as though it's, I don't know, like it gives us a guilt trip, like, oh, I don't do that. And I really stink at that. And it feels, I'm trying to figure out how to articulate this properly, but I think sometimes, and I find myself doing this because I never want to make you guys feel guilty or, or be a little, be too harsh. But something I, I always try and remember is that the Lord's commands are love. And so reminding ourselves and reminding other people and reminding our children that we need to love God with all our heart and with all our soul and all our might and that we should always remember him and that we should talk about it and it make it a part of our lives at all times. This exhortation is an exhortation of love. God's commandments are love. 
And if we are feeling like those commandments are too much, they make us feel too much guilt and too much shame because we're never good enough. It's because we are ignoring the other part of the command, which is that we just need to repent. Repentance is also a loving gift. It is not a punishment. And so I hope as I talk about these things that you can chase away that feeling of feeling overwhelmed that how on earth can I possibly do this adequately? Because clearly it's important to the Lord that we do this, that we centralize our life around him and his commandments and the gospel. Chase away that feeling with remembering that it is also a command to repent, which means we're going to mess up. We're not going to do it perfectly. And that God's command is always love. And repeating God's word is never too harsh because God's word is love. His commands to us are love and the only way to ultimate happiness. We need to not attach ourselves to the flattery of there is no sin, that whatever, whatever our effort is, if we're, even if we're not really trying, but God loves us and we're going to be fine anyway, that's the eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die attitude. God does care what we do. So we need to do it with all of our heart, with all of our soul and all of our might, and then use that process of repentance to then make that effort enough. Okay, so that all being said, now I want to talk about my favorite part of these verses, talking about what our home atmosphere, our family life atmosphere should be like. Verse 7, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. So it says, Thou shalt teach them diligently. What is them? Them is the commandments. Teach the gospel of Jesus Christ to your children. Do you teach the gospel diligently to your children? I do. Sometimes. Not always. I often get off track. I get distracted. We're really busy. We have lots of soccer games and basketball games. Not basketball. <laughs> None of my kids play basketball. My soccer games and baseball games. And we, I have to clean my house and I feel overwhelmed because I, have, I haven't made dinner yet. There's all kinds of times every week where I'm like, Ugh, we did not have our day focused around the gospel of Jesus Christ today. So what do we do when we always find ourselves getting off track? I find the key is not letting those times when I do get off track get to me, whether that be come follow me or scripture study or family prayer, all the things I need to not let that discouragement keep me from trying again and beating myself up. Have you ever felt the feeling when say you, you go a long time without saying a family prayer at night and you're out of the habit and then you have a thought, oh, we should say a family prayer, but you're out of the habit. And so it feels weird to say, hey, let's say a family prayer. Or the same thing could happen with scripture study. So I think the key is not to get caught up in that feeling and and make it stop you from just doing that when you think of it. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't develop a habit and be doing these things every day because we know that we should. But we also all get out of the habit sometimes um, with whatever it is. It might not, maybe you guys are awesome at scripture study. And you always do it. And so this isn't something you've ever gotten out of the habit of doing. But I know there's something because we all have it. My husband and I, for instance, we have always been really good about our prayers at night. It is a habit for us. We've always done it. We very rarely miss a night. But it is not the same with scripture study. We have not always been good about scripture study. And I know that sometimes when we're out of the habit, 
it then feels weird to then say, okay, we're going to all sit down and read the scriptures, even though we haven't been doing that for like three weeks or, or longer, perhaps, or maybe you haven't been doing it for years. And it just feels weird to kind of restart back up. But that's what life is. It's going to be a continual process of starting again, of starting fresh, of repenting and starting again. So you have to push back against that feeling because you know who wants you to think that you are failing at home with spiritual things. You know who wants you to think that it's weird that you want to have family prayer even though you haven't done it for six months. It is Satan. He gets super excited when you let that keep you from doing the next right thing. And a lot of these things are things that typically we talk about applying to us personally, that we just need to keep trying again. But our home is an extension of who we are and what we're responsible for. So that being said, I'm going to read you um, an analogy that Elder Uchtdorf used. And when he used it, he was applying it to your own personal individual self. But I think it can be applied to our homes and our family life as well. So as you listen to what Elder Uchtdorf has to say, think about course corrections you can be making in your home now to avoid further deviation from the kind of home atmosphere Heavenly Father wants you to have, the kind of parenting relationship he wants you to have. Elder Uchtdorf says, Suppose you were taking off from an airport at the equator, intending to circumnavigate the globe, but your course was off by just one degree. By the time you returned to the same longitude, how far off course would you be? A few miles? A hundred miles? The answer might surprise you. An error of only one degree would put you almost 500 miles off course, or one hour of flight for a jet. No one wants his life to end in tragedy, but all too often, like the pilots and passengers of a sightseeing flight, we set out on what we hope will be an exciting journey only to realize too late that an error of a few degrees has set us on a course for spiritual disaster. Small errors and minor drifts away from the doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ can bring sorrowful consequences into our lives. It is therefore of critical importance that we become self-disciplined enough to make early and decisive corrections to get back on the right track and not wait or hope that errors will somehow correct themselves. The longer we delay corrective action, the larger the needed changes become and the longer it takes to get back on the correct course, even to the point where a disaster might be looming. Okay, so as parents, we are all trying to fly an airplane as we try to create a home atmosphere that will hopefully give our children the best spiritual chance that they will have in this really hard world. In order to apply this analogy to parenting and to raising a family, I think we need to add one variation. Our passengers are a little unruly and they have their own agency. They have the ability to open the emergency exit and do what they want to do, and you have no control over it, or at least little control over it eventually. Maybe overall you really are consistent. You read the scriptures, you say your prayers together as a family, you teach your children in love and righteousness, and with all of that, they can choose to stay on the plane, trusting, gaining their own faith that the plane is going where they want to go safely. But at any moment, they can also still choose to jump out of the emergency exit door, not understanding or maybe remembering that they have a parachute, the Savior, they have a parachute on their back. And hopefully as they fall, they remember that there is something providing safety available to them all the time. And actually, if we're going to torture this metaphor a little bit more, we all jump out of our parents' plane at some point. We decide 
that we're ready for some independence. We're ready to go at it on our own. So hopefully as we jump out, we remember that we have that parachute on our back and that we know how to land safely and continue on our journey and get our own plane and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I'm taking this metaphor too far, <laughs> but you get the point. Clearly, there are all kinds of directions that that these planes could be flying. Maybe there are families flying planes that are spiraling out of control. They have a rough family atmosphere. They have a lack of spiritual guidance from the parents. Maybe the plane doesn't know where it's going. Maybe the pilots aren't using the instruments properly or they don't know how to fly the plane at all. It's all at that point, hopefully, that the passengers are able to use their agency and knowledge to open the emergency exit and land safely, knowing that they have a parachute on their back, even though their plane wasn't going so well in the first place. So there's all kinds of paths that we can take in this life. But that original journey we take with our parents matters. The direction and the course corrections that that plane makes matter. And because we're actually talking about life and we're not actually talking about an airplane I want to testify to you that it is not too late. If your kids are grown and gone and have taken paths that either you love or maybe make you sad, it is not too late for you to have an amazing influence on them. This is just a larger version of what we were talking about earlier, where you go six months without saying family prayers, so now it feels awkward. Don't let that awkwardness of, oh, maybe I didn't do, maybe I have regret for how I raised my family as they were little. Don't let that stop you from course correcting now. The Savior wouldn't want you to do that. And he will support you and help you make the most out of whatever effort you can put toward course correcting for your family, with your family. Do you think if he was in front of you now and you say, it's just too late, they're gone, they they have their own lives, they have their own agency, all of those things. And while all that is true, do you think he would say, okay, well, I guess you don't have any influence anymore. No, you absolutely have influence. You have the ability to repent, to have a clean slate, and to do the next right thing. That is all you can do. Do you think that the things, whatever you hold against yourself as how you performed as a parent when your kids were younger, do you think that the Lord, that that's not within the reach of the atonement? Of course it is. You can still course correct right now. You might have farther to go, like Elder Uchtdorf talked about. You have a larger course correction to make, and you also have other people's agency to take into account. But as far as your own personal journey and your stewardship with those kids, you can get back on track in being the kind of parent, in creating the kind of family environment that he has asked you to have. And don't get caught up on exactly what that is supposed to look like. It's probably not going to look like this ideal, perfect, celestial thing that you imagine in your head. Because again, you have other people's agency. They're going to, they're going to do what they're going to do, but you can control what you do and you can control that you are following the Lord's command to be the kind of parent that he would want you to be. And that's going to look different at different stages of life, but emulate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Talk about the commandments. Talk about the Savior as though he is an integral part of your life. And people cannot help but be influenced by that. Now, for those of us who still have young children, keep course correcting. It will make an impact. Make those small adjustments, and it will affect your children's lives forever. That's what I always try to keep in mind, is that what I do right now, the small things that I do right now, do matter. 
And I think this verse in Deuteronomy is such a good outline, a good realistic outline for how we should be creating that atmosphere, that direction, that course for our family. And this doesn't just apply to someone like me who is a parent of small children. If you are a member of a family, you have a responsibility to bring the spirit into your family life, to do the things that you need to do so that your family can be centralized around the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have a huge influence over that. And one of the number one things that I think that we can do as a parent, as as just a member of a family, is just to talk about the gospel, planned or unplanned. I am not a great organizer. I'm not a great scheduler, but I can for sure make sure I talk about the gospel with my children when we're sitting at home, while I'm tucking them in for bed, while I'm driving them to school, organized or not. If I am doing those things, they will know, as Nephi said in 2 Nephi, chapter 25, verse 26, and we talk of Christ and we rejoice in Christ and we preach of Christ and we prophesy of Christ and we write according to our prophecies that our children may know to what source they may look for a remission of their sins. Talking, rejoicing, preaching, prophesying, reading our scriptures, those are the things that we can do so that our children, so that our family members can know to what source they may look for a remission of their sins. If you just do that, If you talk to your family about their Savior, you are giving them their best shot. Even when they choose to exert that independence and that agency and jump out of your airplane, you will have given them the knowledge that they have a parachute on their back, always there, perfectly folded, and that that cord is there to pull any time. If you weave Jesus Christ's name into your daily life with your family, that will be enough. And by enough, that doesn't mean that the outcomes are always going to be exactly what you always dreamed that they would be, but it will be enough. It will be an acceptable effort to your Savior. President Hinckley said this about women, but I think it equally applies to men. The greatest job that any woman will ever do will be in nurturing and teaching and living and encouraging and rearing her children in truth and righteousness. There is no other thing that will compare with that regardless of what she does. And I want to expand that to just general family members. The greatest job that you will ever do will be nurturing and teaching and living and encouraging your family members in righteousness and truth. There is no other thing that will compare with that, regardless of what you do. President Nelson said this, and I'm going to add in the word men as well. Today, we need women and men who know how to make important things happen by their faith and who are courageous defenders of morality and families in a sin-sick world. We need women and men who are devoted to shepherding God's children along the covenant path toward exaltation. Women and men who know how to receive personal revelation, who understand the power and peace of the temple endowment. Women and men who know how to call upon the powers of heaven to protect and strengthen children and families. Women and men who teach fearlessly. Elder Bradley D. Foster said, Our Heavenly Father wants us to succeed because really, after all, they were His children before they were ours. As parents in Zion, you have received the gift of the Holy Ghost. As you pray for guidance, it will show you all things of what you should do in teaching your children. As you develop processes of learning, the power of the Holy Ghost carrieth it unto the hearts of the children. I want to bear my testimony to you that the Lord will carry you in this. I I'm so imperfect, just like we all are, but just like I'm sure you feel about yourself, I'm constantly humbled at how much I need my Savior. 
especially in the role of parent to my wonderful children. The Lord is in the process of taking my weaknesses and making them strengths. He's building me up gradually. He knew, he knew that I needed this podcast. And I hope it's because some of you needed it too, but really it's because my family needed it. These last couple of years of studying the scriptures has been transformative for me as a mother. I am so far from perfect, but I do know that the Lord is helping me cultivate a love for the gospel that will be something that my children cannot deny no matter what path they choose to go on in their life. Cultivate in whatever way you need to do it. Cultivate a love for the gospel, and that will overflow into every facet of your family life. I am obviously still very much in the midst of this process and I will be for the rest of my life. But dedicating my time and effort to the Lord has completely changed the atmosphere of my home. It comes so naturally to me now to talk about the Savior, to talk about the gospel with my children. Like Moses says, when they wake as we live and as we worship, ask the Lord to help you find something that will motivate you to immerse yourself in the gospel of Jesus Christ so that that immersion in the gospel can spread to your children, to your husband, to everyone around you. Pray for help to get to a place where you love him with your whole heart, soul, and might, where you want to talk about him throughout your day, and he will carry you. I bear my testimony of the scripture in Matthew 10, 29. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. When we lose ourselves in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we find what life is really all about and where true happiness comes from. I believe with all my heart that as we lose our lives completely, giving our hearts over to Jesus Christ, asking for his help to do so, we will find that loving him with our whole heart and whole soul will come as naturally to us as breathing. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.